Hi, and welcome to yet another episode of Occupied. Just a quick note, if you are enjoying these, please do share them with friends, colleagues, people you know might be interested in whichever topics they are. Uh, also, if you're looking to get even more value out of your podcasting experience, pop on over to patreon.com forward slash occupied plus, where you can get exclusive uh episodes as well as a ton of other resources to enhance your practice and your knowledge without further ado let's get on with this episode today we are speaking with the one the only emily roberts you may know her as the body image ot on instagram we talk about everything with regards to body image identity and how that impacts on a person's uh, occupations and what ot's might be able to actually do for people uh, who are experiencing this. So please do grab a drink, sit down, relax, and enjoy. G'day, my name's Brock Cook, and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories, and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. So I actually wanted to be a dietitian, and my whole family was turning me away from dietetics for whatever reason. And so then my sister-in-law is a nurse and I had never heard of occupational therapy, but she knew an occupational therapist and was like, I think you would really like occupational therapy. I think it like really fits your personality well. And so I went and I shadowed one and, um, and honestly, it's not even, it's not that like pretty of a story. I just kind of just went along with it (laughs) and Um, I, I mean, I enjoyed the shadowing experience, but I just kind of chose it. And then I really fell in love with it when I was in OT school was when like the whole, I really truly felt like I understood what occupational therapy was. And I was like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. So you you guys have to do like, it's a post-grad course over there. What was your undergrad in? Kinesiology and Spanish. (laughs) Seems to be, but a I fairly, don't understand anymore. <laughs> it seems to be a fairly popular option over there. I remember talking to yeah. someone not long ago about the fact that you know a lot of Americans seem to use kinesiology as access to the profession, and it's not really a thing here. Really, it's not. Well, not a university course anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know. If That's any, interesting. I don't have any universities you can study kinesiology specifically. Um, it's mainly, if you're going to do that kind of thing, it'd be like exercise science or sports yeah. science. But yeah, nothing. I even actually, I'm pretty sure I even had a look one day and I couldn't find a kinesiology uni degree. You could do like little like TAFE certificates, which I don't know what the equivalent of TAFE would be over there. I've never even heard of that. What's that? Uh, TAFE's kind of like, if you're going to do a a trade, um, like the theory aspect of your trade would be run through the TAFE. I don't know what it stands for. Um, but it's kind of like, it's not a a bachelor's degree, but it's like a certificate level qualifications under that. 
So, okay. And that could be the equivalent of what we call an associate's degree. Do you guys have one of those where you are? don't, but it's probably sounds like it'll be similar to that. So, yeah, yeah you, I think I found a couple places where you could study kinesiology and get some sort of cert for that, but not a, there was no like university level qualification, which is interesting because, yeah, it's like a whole field. Like a whole field that doesn't exist in another country. Yeah. Well, honestly, there's nothing you can really do directly with kinesiology. Like you have to go on to do something else or get other certifications. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what, I mean, we don't have master's entry or we do, you can do master's entry, but it's not a requirement here. So most of the courses in Australia are bachelor's. Um, For OT? Yeah. Oh, and weird. it's direct like mine is a Bachelor of Occupational Therapy. So wow. it's it's seems like less stuffing around. <laughs> it's a, yeah. a lot easier process over here. It's just a, the U.S.'s education education system is just a whole mess. It's just it's very happening. it's very unique. I'll give, I'll give <laughs> you that much. <laughs> very unique and very expensive, but yeah, very yeah. unique. Yes, very expensive. So very, very. you, I mean, I, I followed you for a while now on, on Instagram and we've chatted a few times. I'll just wait for that. That's my dog. <laughs> it's okay. I have two. It'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what he's barking at, but hopefully he shuts up. Oh, he's barking at dogs walking past. All right. <laughs> uh yeah so i've followed you for quite a while now and we've connected over instagram and the thing that really grabs me about your your content is it's i don't i don't know of any other ot that's posting out the information you're posting but your instagram handle is the body image ot how did how did that come about yes so i used to be empower something empower OT or something like that. When I first started my OT kind of Instagram, and then I changed it to my name. And then eventually I changed it to the body image OT because that I just, that's where most of my content was going. Like that's what I enjoyed posting about. Um, and what I got a lot of engagement out of and kind of where I wanted to go further in my career passion, whatever you want to call it with OT. So I just, nobody else had it. And I was like, I better grab this while, <laughs> while it lasts. <laughs> but that's why I chose to be the body image OT on Instagram. But, um, but really it is something that I don't feel like a lot of OTs talk about, but it's something that is super relevant to OT and um, to what we do because our body image and the way we feel about ourselves directly impacts how we show up in the world and how we participate in our occupations or don't participate. So, so what was it? Uh, was it a, a personal experience or what, where did your interest in looking at body image through an occupational lens come from? Yes, definitely my personal experience. <laughs> and then after that, more so just seeing the world in a, totally different way and seeing how much it impacts everybody else. But, um, 
definitely a personal experience. Do you want me to get into my Sure, if you're open to it. So I'll try to keep it somewhat concise because I can go off on a million tangents here. I like tangents. It's okay. (laughs) Okay. So growing up, I have two older brothers and we are great friends and we've always been decently great friends, but they're brothers. And so they tease me all the time growing up. And um, I guess first I should probably say, I've never been in a non-marginalized body. Like I am average size, I'm white, I'm heterosexual. um, And I have never actually gotten a lot of stigma on my body from the outside world. But I think that it doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters, but it doesn't matter for people individually when they're getting things. I mean, you get it from all the different directions. Mm -hmm. So My family was probably the first that um, really started focusing on my body more so than just me. And my brothers would make fun of me and they would call me chubby and always like ask me like, when is Emily going to lose her baby fat? And um, like, this sounds horrible. (laughs) I hope my brother doesn't listen to this because he's going to feel horrible. But (laughs) He would like show my fat rolls to his friends and be like, look at all of her rolls. (laughs) And at the time I would just laugh about it because like, he's my older brother. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to hang out with his friends, but looking back, I think that just that over and over and over again, kind of shaped how I felt about my body and made me think, okay, well, whatever fat I do have on my body is not okay to have. So how, how how old were you around? Like when that was happening? Um, I remember it probably around like seven or eight years old. Okay. So I don't know if it happened before then, but if I do, if it did, I don't really have much memory of it. Yep. Um, and then my best friend growing up who is still my best friend to this day, she is just like, has a totally different build than I do. Just like very thin, um, tall with long legs Um, and all of the boys had crushes on her and all of the girls wanted to be friends with her, not me. And there was really like, we grew up together. So there was really no difference in my mind, at least of how, um, how I was seen versus how she was seen in terms of personality. It only was the body, I guess, that I felt like was different. And so that was like another thing that it's like, okay, well, my brother's always say like they always comment on my my fat on my body my chubbiness or whatever and then everybody wants to be friends with my friend who is um of a smaller body so that must be how you get liked is to have a smaller Mm. body and then um our other friend that there was just a couple of times that I'm not friends with her anymore but um there's just a couple of times where she would make comments like we would make up dances and choreograph dances. And she told me one time that I couldn't participate in the dance because my thighs were too big. And this was at like age 10 <laughs> and she's a year younger than I am. Wow. So I remember thinking like, that doesn't make any sense, but obviously that still hurt my feelings. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so I just kind of, I think it was a culmination of a, a bunch of different things And also my mom, she, she never really like 
commented directly on my body and like said anything negative about my body, except for like when we would go to the doctor's appointment and then they would weigh me. And I remember, I don't know if it was in high school or middle school or something like that, but um, I had to go for, I was very, I played a lot of sports. And so for our sports here, we have to get a physical and that proves like our vaccinations and all that stuff and says we're healthy to play. And so I went for that and my mom commented on my weight and she was like, wow, you're really like, you're almost as much as I weigh at whatever age that she was when she got married. And I just remember thinking like, why does that matter? (laughs) But thinking also like, oh shoot, like I shouldn't weigh this much now. Um, if my mom weighed this much when she got married and I'm like 15 or whatever I was, um, then she would comment on my eating habits a lot. She would say like things like, um, if you keep eating that, you're going to be as big as a house. Or she would comment on her own body and be like, I can't wear shorts because my thighs are too big. Or, um, she has bunions and (laughs) I, I also got bunions, unfortunately, but she comments all the time about how ugly her feet are. And I'm not really self-conscious about my feet because I know, like, I'm just like, I don't like them either. It's whatever, like they're my feet, (laughs) but I always just, I personally always just got the, the fatness, the body shape, all of that was not okay. I had to be as small as possible, the least amount of weight as possible. And so Um, In high school, I started controlling my food a lot and trying to become the least amount, like take up the least amount of space as possible. And so without, like, I never actually got diagnosed with an eating disorder because I never went to the doctor because Mm. nobody ever thought that I had a problem, but, um, or if they did, they never spoke up about it, but I would do things like skip meals. I would skip lunches in the summer. Um, I would drink only like energy drinks. And then eventually I was just eating like a small amount of food, like a small, not a, well, a small amount, but also a small, um, different types of food, I guess. Let's say like a small variety. That's what I was trying to say. A variety of food. And, um, I would go to school and my friends would be getting lunch and they'd be like, Emily, aren't you going to get something? I'm like, no, I don't feel well. That was always my thing. It's like, I just don't feel good. I think I have a cold. Like, I'm just going to eat the little thing that I did bring for lunch. And they'd always be like, yeah, whatever. Okay. Um, And then eventually it got to the point where I um, was over-exercising as well. So I think I mentioned that I played sports. I played soccer competitively and we would have soccer practice. Um, I played, I played club soccer and then I also played school soccer. They were in different seasons, but in club soccer, I would come home from school and I would go to the gym. I would run for an hour and then I'd come home and I'd eat like a lean cuisine, which is like 300 calories for dinner. And then I'd go to soccer practice again for two hours. And then I'd come home and I'd drink chocolate milk. That was the only thing I would allow myself to drink was chocolate milk. And, um, and then I would do crunches like 120 crunches, and then I would go to bed. And that was like my routine every single day. And so I was drastically under eating and over exercising. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And that kind of rolled over into like my schoolwork. So this is kind of where I'm seeing like some of the different areas kind of come into play. So, and then at school, I was trying to, my brothers were pretty smart and um, I felt like I had to live up to this expectation that all the teachers that they had before um, that I also had had of me because I had the same last name. And, um, and so I strove to get straight A's and I did do very well. I don't remember if I got straight A's or not. That was so long ago, but I did do super well. And I was like on honor roll and all the things Yep. got into all the colleges I wanted to get into, um, easy peasy, didn't have to worry at all about that. And, um, just was this, I remember the lady that did the yearbook, she came up to me randomly and interviewed me as a perfectionist. And I was like, kind of taken aback. I was like, I'm not a perfectionist, but I definitely was had a lot of perfectionistic tendencies. Um, trying to control my body, trying to control, control my grades, trying to, um, make varsity soccer, which I ended up doing. And it was just one thing after another. And my life had to be perfect because that's where I put my worth was, um, all of these accomplishments and, the way that I looked and all of that, I felt like that was going to give me better satisfaction in life. And I was going to um, get more friends. Mm. All of that. So then goes to college, I go to college um, and I have the normal college experience <laughs> where I go out partying, all this stuff. I kind of let myself go for lack of a better word um, the first year and um, gained a little bit of weight. And, but I didn't like, I was just kind of like, whatever about it, which was so weird. Um, I guess I should back up a little bit. So before I went to college, I um, was sexually assaulted by one of my friends. And so now that like, I look back and I connect all the things that drastic change from going to being like the perfectionist to going and being like, I don't care. I just, whatever about life. Um, that makes a lot of sense when I look back at that, but that lasted for only a year because then I went back into the overeating, um, or under eating over exercising regimen that I did in college because I realized I don't like myself. Like I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way that I feel. Um, so the only answer is to control my food and control my exercise again, And so that lasted, I don't know, gosh, through grad school, maybe not all of grad school, um, at least a year of grad school. And, um, and I moved across the country for grad school. So when I look back, it's like all these life transitions kind of spark (laughs) the, um, trigger it for me. And then I started learning about intuitive eating and I had never heard of that before. I was actually trying to learn more about, um, about nutrition and exercise. So I was listening to a podcast and I thought I was going to be learning like nutrition tips for like holistic, um, integrative health kind of tips. And I would listen to it on my runs, my daily runs. And, um, and they started talking about intuitive eating and how, all of the benefits of intuitive eating and all of the harmful effects of over-exercising and under-eating and controlling everything and these per- perfectionistic tendencies. And I was like, they are talking directly to me. And so 
little by little, I stopped like counting calories, counting my macros, weighing all my food, um, exercising twice a day. I just kind of slowly brought that back and slowly started trying to trust myself again, trying to, um, incorporate some of the intuitive eating things Mm. and looking more into that. And it was just like this drastic change in all areas of my life. My relationship with my boyfriend, who's now, now is my husband is, was like so much better. I didn't even realize that I was withholding so much from that, um, time. Um, and then just like different intimacy kind of things too, Mm. just withholding so much because of the way that I felt about my body, even though I was at my most fit or my smallest that I had ever been. Um, I had so much more time (laughs) to do whatever, because I wasn't worrying about and like scheduling things around my food and my meal prep and my exercise. And I was way more focused. And I just felt like had more energy. And, um, now I just feel like I dream more, if that makes sense. Like my dreams were always at night or just like, no, no, no. Like, um, yeah, like life dreams. (laughs) Yes. Because that's a weird side effect. (laughs) (laughs) That is a weird, that would be a weird. I do dream a lot. So maybe that's true too. But, um, but no, I meant like life dreams because I felt like the only thing I ever focused on was how I can be the most fit person that I can be not like show up as my best self or show up, um, and take up space and whatever that may look like. So when I look back at my own story, I see how it affected like my relationships It affected the way I take care of myself. It affected the way that I eat, it affected the way that I spend my leisure time. Um, it just affected so many areas of my life. It affected my school. It affected my rest because I never wanted to rest or I never allowed myself to rest, which goes along with the perfectionist part. Um, I still have a hard time with that, but I do prioritize sleep now. I just have a hard time like sitting and doing nothing, but we're getting there. <laughs> so physically how did you feel when you were sort of in the midst of that because you're like with the over exercise and the very limited food your hormone profile would have been shot to shit yes so that's another thing i didn't even mention um i've i thought i felt good like i thought i felt great even because of like the high i would get from running and that kind of stuff but i was always tired like I was always super sore. I was always just like exhausted (laughs) and mentally exhausted. And my um, like emotional regulation was just like, no, like I did not regulate my emotions well at all. Um, I think that also comes with just not really being in tune with your body though. But, Mm. um, but I actually, my hormones were shot. Like my cycle, my menstrual cycle was completely off. I would skip months. I, um, cause I, at the, at some point I got off of hormonal birth control kind of around the time that I found intuitive eating. So I was on that, which like, if 
people that are listening don't know that's not a regular period. So that's not your body creating the hormones mm. that it needs to. So it's not like telling you about your health. <laughs> yeah. So I got off of that and it took me a year and a half to get my period back um, every month. Mm. And then it took me even longer to be like confident that I was ovulating. So I definitely think that that, cause that doesn't happen with everybody. I definitely think that the way that I was living my lifestyle that I was, um, that I had with barely ever resting and not eating, whatever, um, definitely affected that. So I'm glad that I decided to do all that at that time, because, um, eventually I would like to have kids and that could be an issue for some people. Yeah. I just know like my, involvement with powerlifting and and coaching women through powerlifting i've heard from some of the women that i've coached in the past like when they got to essentially cutting weight for competition uh when they started to get to that sort of really lower body fat and weren't taking in many dietary fats like menstrual cycle ceased and like moods went all over the place and like I know for most people, like dietary fat has a big impact on hormones. Like that's, wild. oh yeah, even even for guys. Like I know if a, if I was cutting for competition or something, and for whatever reason that particular cut was a uh, low fat diet, like I know that I was going to be moody and cranky and all over the place because that's just what my body did and. It seems mm-hmm. to be a very a common thing for for everyone, um, but yep. then actual body fat, I think, is in part helps regulate that sort of hormone cycle. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm not surprised that <laughs> your your hormones are all over the place. That's usually one of the first things I look for nowadays with with athletes. Yeah, definitely, and carbs are super important for women too, which mm. I didn't. I was at the beginning I was cutting fat and then at the, like, of course I was trying to eat all the protein, but then I was cutting carbs for a really long time. Um, and when I started adding carbs back in is really when I started feeling a lot better, but I think everybody's different. Of course, I know, um, my GI system was all messed up too, which makes sense because your, um, gut creates a lot of the hormones in your body. So especially if, that you're, was awesome. if you're not eating, uh, not eating many carbs and you're eating a ton of protein, it's not going to be a happy place down there. No, (laughs) no, (laughs) not at all. For those of you who don't know, that will essentially limit the fiber and probably block you up a fair bit if you're just eating Mm -hmm. a ton of protein and no no fiber, no carbs, that kind of thing. That's exactly what happened. And I had no idea what was going on. (laughs) No idea. Because on the outside, you look like this healthy person. Mm -hmm. Like you look you look fit, you look, um, you act normal. Like it's not, you don't look like a sick person. I think that's where a lot of the, I don't know, I guess the culture praises that. And so I think that that's what really perpetuates a lot of the issues that we see with women and their body image is people praise trying to change your body and doing all of those behaviors. It's like the best thing that you can do, but it's not, it can be one of the worst things that you can do for your body. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I feel like the, the public perception on what is fit and what is healthy is so skewed. And I, again, like I saw that through powerlifting, like 
like I, or even before I got into that, like people would hold like bodybuilders and be like, oh, these people are like ripped and they're jacked and they're so healthy. And then um, you look at what they actually have to do to get there and you're like, dude, this isn't, this isn't good at all. Um, mm -hmm. But even through powerlifting, like powerlifting's not a healthy sport. Like you can be fit and as healthy as you can be, but you're putting your body through something it's not designed to do. Like yeah. it's it's not normal. Like the human body isn't designed to say like squat eight hundred pounds. Like that's not normal. Um, yeah. And you're doing damage, whether you like it or not. You're doing damage, and like I've been there. I've done that. It. it it's not normal and you don't feel amazing after every session and it takes a psychological drain as well because you're essentially pushing your body to do things it doesn't want to do or it's not designed to do uh yeah but people look at that and go oh my god like that's that's amazing i'm like yeah yeah it's amazing i just did something that my body didn't want to do <laughs> Yeah. The definition of amazing <laughs> is slightly different, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's performance, right? People people are are trying to say that you're amazing by the way that you're performing hmm. and that's just I don't know. It gets me in my feels because the way that we perform is not always the way that we feel or always the way that's best for us. And it's not always what, um, our bodies are telling us to do. But I feel like that's where it comes is that there's no objective measure of fitness or health. It's always a comparison. So like I've squatted that much before, but to me that wasn't amazing because I can see someone who can do it more, you know, I've seen, yeah, you see bodybuilders that get like ridiculously lean, like it's not human, but mm -hmm. they'll get second place because there's someone else that did more kind of thing. Um, yeah. I feel like the the measure is always like the, the, the goalposts are always shifting because it's always a comparison. There's no, oh, yep, okay, like I've, I've arrived, I'm, I'm fit, I'm healthy, this is, this is what I was picturing the whole time kind of thing. It was, it's always like, oh, I need to, do this or even if you get there and, and you see that a lot with people who have disordered eating is that oh you know i need to be at skinny and then you know however long later like dude you're really skinny oh no but i need to be skinnier like it's mm -hmm. uh it's 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 a comparison like a constant comparison so it's one of those things like it's a goal you're never ever gonna meet exactly you're never gonna be satisfied yeah because you're reaching for something that is unattainable which is because when you think about it, like when we're, when you're, well, I don't know about powerlifting because you probably are trying to get to like a certain number, I guess, or I don't know, like what is your actual goal when you're, when anybody's trying to, I guess, like get smaller or whatever, you have this goal of a number, but then your actual goal, you hit that number and you're still not satisfied. I feel like your actual goal is to be more confident or to feel better about yourself or to, um, in my instance, it was at some point to get guys to notice me or to get into a relationship mm -hmm. or to feel like I was just better or a better person or more successful or whatever it is. It's this, it's never about the number. It's about something deeper. And I think people miss that. It's like, Oh, I'm just gonna, I'm going to, 
get back to my size four jeans. It's like, okay, well, once you get to that size four, you're going to want the size two, or you're going to want, that's not going to be good enough. You're going to want, um, a bigger butt or whatever it may be. As is the Um, fashion nowadays. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So I don't know. It's just, that's what I'm trying to educate people on too, is that it's not about the weight. It's not about the number. It's not about, or rarely about what you actually think it's about. It's about something much, much deeper that can't be met by these behaviors that you're doing. Do you feel like it's, because I was just thinking as you were talking then, that it's rather than a number on on a scale or on a bar or whatever it is, that it's more about people are missing, I guess, a fulfillment of some kind. Because uh, I was just thinking, like you went and you said, like oh, I'm not sure about powerlifting, but it really is like that. Like you know, you set a goal usually to whatever weight you want to lift, and then you lift that, and it's like, all right, now I'm gonna lift. Like, what's the next number? What's the next thing I'm gonna do? <laughs> like, you might celebrate that for 30 seconds or an hour, maybe, and then you know the next year of your training's laid out because you need to hit this next number, and it's. Yeah it's something that I feel like a lot of people, it's almost like an addictive behavior or a, a, a malpatent behavior in that there's no fulfillment in chasing those numbers. Like, yeah. And I still, I still love the sport. Like, don't get me wrong. Like mm-hmm. I, I love the sport and I love everything that you can get from the sport, but I feel like there's a lot of people that get into it looking for fulfillment from the achievements that you may get from it when I've tried to educate a lot of my lifters as well, that if you don't love the process, it's not the sport for you because you're never going to get that fulfillment from the outcome. You're never going to, you know, hit that number on the bar and go, yep, sweet. Awesome. I'm done. Like I've done what I wanted to do. Like it's never, it's a never ending Mm -hmm. thing. And I feel like the same thing often is when you start, objectively measuring something in the hope of it bringing happiness you know we see it all the time with people shopping like oh i'm gonna buy this next thing and then i'll be happy and then they buy that and they might like it for 30 seconds and oh but you know maybe if i get this other thing then i'll be happy um and all connected like yeah and it's the same thing with body weight like oh i'm gonna get to this weight or i'm gonna you know, if it's another exercise, I'm going to run this far or whatever it is. And you get there and it's like, okay, so like I'm here, like, and why aren't I happy? So I love, I love how you said that it's, it's not about the outcome. It's about the process. You have to love the process. Mm. I think that goes for all, that goes for everything that you do, right? It's not, of course you have to do things that you don't like, like I have to go to work in order to make money. I wish I could just make money. <laughs> we should just but, on a tree. Yeah, exactly. I wish I could sleep as long as I wanted and do whatever I wanted all day and still make money. But I think for the grand majority of like, I guess for the conversation that we're talking about, like wellness behaviors, right? So eating healthy and exercising and sleeping and whatever, you have to love the process of what you're doing. You can't just bank on the outcome. Like you have to be feeling good while you're doing something. You have to actually be enjoying what you're doing. 
or else it's never going to be good enough. Mm. And I think that it comes from an identity issue. I think it comes from a lot of these, um, I guess my therapist and I, we call them core beliefs. Like one of my core beliefs is that I'm not good enough. And okay. so I, I search to be good enough in all of these other areas. And I'm never good enough because <laughs> that's not going to make me feel good enough because I'm searching for earthly things that are not, they're not capable of fulfilling my soul in that way. And, um, and I think it's just a never ending battle for people who struggle with their body image to try to, to find a way to feel either good enough or whatever their core belief may be through these things. And so what I really want people to understand is that they can find, it's not like that eating nutritious foods is bad for you. It's not, it's not that exercising is bad for you because it's not, both of those things are really great things. Mm. Um, lifting weights is really, really good for you. Probably not to the extent where you're <laughs> lifting that much weight on your joints, but it shows that it like decreases osteoporosis mm -hmm. and decreases falls later in life and stuff. And um, that is all amazing things. But if you, it, it just depends on where your focus lies. Are you focused on changing your body? Are you focused on getting to this goal or are you focused on like helping your body and, and doing this because it's actually benefiting you and it's actually benefiting your health and not just what you think it might be benefiting of your health. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And I, I wonder whether you feel that getting people to that stage where they realize pretty much exactly what you've just said is something that people can pick up along the way or do you think that people kind of almost have to hit a rock bottom before they go, oh wait, this isn't working for me. I need to do something different. I think it depends on the person <laughs> and I hate to say it this way, but I almost feel like just from talking to people that they have to at least have these little seeds maybe planted like over and over and over again, but they have to get to a point themselves where they're just fed up. Like they're fed up with losing weight and gaining it back. They're fed up with always trying to reach for something and never feeling like it's enough. Um, just fed up with, with that whole process and they don't want to do that for the rest of their life. Or maybe they see it passed on to their children or they see it in somebody else that's reflecting onto them. And they think, Ooh, that's, I need to do something about it. But I do think that they need to have kind of that moment where they don't, they just can't do it anymore. Whether that's rock bottom for them or not, I don't know. But um, just from talking to people, like there are some people who are just not ready to give yeah. up the lifestyle that they're living. And that's okay. Like we've all been there, but um, I don't know. I guess I just, I hope that I can be that little seed that even if they're not ready, they see something that I post and it makes them think. And then they can scroll past or whatever that they do or challenge me or whatever, but they'll think about it maybe later <laughs> and be like, Ooh, I think that she was onto something there and mm. just little things here and there may help them 
come back and be like, all right, I'm ready now to really come home to myself and to stop fighting against myself. Because the other side of it, obviously, we we talked about like the fear, how you physically feel with you know, a, yeah. a messed up hormone profile and all that sort of stuff. But there's there's a psychological aspect to it as well. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's probably most equivalent to almost like anxiety in mm-hmm. that it takes up a lot of your focus. You're constantly thinking about, you know, food or macros or exercise or when you can, you know, how you can, like you were describing before, like how what excuse can you come up with so you don't have to have a meal with the people and you can just eat whatever you, you prepped. Like it's, it it almost becomes like an all-encompassing, it's like a full-time job just trying to yeah. navigate your way through the food aspect of life or the nutrition aspect of life. Yeah. Did you find it to be like anxiety or was it something like something, did it feel like something else? So, yes, I think it, I think it felt like anxiety, but I didn't realize it. Mm. Um, I didn't realize that I was ever an anxious person because I don't get, like, I see anxiety and I see people with panic disorder and I think I don't get panic attacks, like, but they're even growing up, I could tell I was a super anxious kid and it just never was like called anxiety. Uh, but I do think that it is because you, if people haven't been through this, they may not know the feeling, but if you are so encompassed with eating a certain way and I can think of one particular time, I guess this was kind of my rock bottom (laughs) where I was counting my macros, even like to the gram and to like spices, which essentially have nothing. So that shows you. I've never heard of anyone that's done that. That's extreme. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was extreme. And the funny thing, I mean, this is kind of a tangent and it's not funny, but I like didn't lose that much weight, which is, I was of a normal weight. I was never like somebody who you would picture in your head to have an eating disorder. Like that wasn't, that wasn't how I looked. So people never really thought what I was doing was unhealthy. They always thought what I was doing was, was healthy, which was problematic, but mm. that was a tangent. Now I'm coming back. <laughs> so my rock bottom time was when I was, I, I live in Georgia right now and my family, I grew up in Illinois. So that is like a 14 hour road trip. And we make that every, yeah, we make that every holiday season. So we were coming back from Illinois to Georgia during the holidays. And, um, we had, it was after Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving meal, we're traveling. I can't meal prep and bring my food. I don't want to be rude. So I don't ask like people to make certain foods for me because that's another thing too, is like people will start like my husband's family would start making just vegetables for me and know that I wasn't going to eat the potato or whatever. And, um, which made me already feel bad because I was like, you don't have to do that. But then in my head, I'm like, you do have to do that. (laughs) So we were coming back from Thanksgiving, eating all the Thanksgiving stuff and it was dinner time. And of course, where do you stop on a road trip, but fast food places. And I just remember breaking down and being like, I don't deserve to eat. I ate so bad. I feel like a blob. I don't deserve to eat. And I got a salad with like no dressing. And my boyfriend was like, eat something like eat food. You do need to eat. And I just remember that being like 
my rock bottom being like, something needs to change. Like, this is not okay. This is not healthy because I am so anxious about eating fast food Mm. with one meal Mm. and we don't have other options. (laughs) I'm so anxious about this that I feel like I shouldn't eat at all when I haven't eaten all day, probably. So uh, yes, it definitely shows up like anxiety, um, whether that is to that extreme or just the little things like being like, oh no, like you can't, you can't have a burger. Or if you have the burger, you can't have the bun or you can't have mayonnaise or you don't get the fries, but that get the broccoli. Like you always have to get the healthy choice or whatever the locale option is on the menu. Yeah. Um, looking up all the menu options before you go to the restaurant and knowing exactly what you're going to get, because you have to hit your macros perfectly or whatever it is. It is anxiety. It, it overwhelms your life without really realizing it because you feel empowered because you feel like you're in control of something, mm. but really you are, it's controlling you. Like you are so out of control. You have no control over it. It is controlling you. Yeah. And I think the, the control is a, a big part of it as well. That feeling of, even if you're not, technically in control just the perception of control is what people seem to be to be chasing i wonder i just had a thought then too i wonder whether you feel like uh, i mean it's it's obvious that a lot of the sort of public attitudes around eating body image and that sort of stuff is the general public has a very limited understanding of like what good nutrition actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, because of that, I feel like in a lot of instances, people who are athletes are often, like you described then, like, oh, people thought it was healthy, like what I was doing. And I wonder whether that, uh, in my experience, and, and I'm keen to hear your opinion, whether you think that's more common with athletes, because athletes generally do eat different to general public because they expend energy differently um yeah and whether or not people like obviously yours is almost the opposite way that most athletes would eat most athletes would eat more um given that they expend more energy doing what they're doing or they're trying to build muscle or whatever it is that their particular goal is but i feel like due to the general public's limited knowledge around nutrition and that kind of thing it's almost like oh they're an athlete what they're doing must be fine like it's almost like forgiven because of the athletic status did you find that at all um yes kind of so i think i think if i hear what you're saying correctly like you see people would see me like running half marathons and lifting weights and doing all these athletic things like playing soccer Mm. and be like oh well what she's doing she is not dead. So like, obviously what she's doing is okay. Mm. And it's probably healthy because that's the way that she's fueling herself for playing this sport or whatever. Yeah. So I think yes. But then I also think that people will take, because I had this experience in my disordered eating where I would follow a lot of people on social media who were doing the bodybuilding and the bikini competitions. And like you were saying, when they were cutting down to be super lean, I would, I would follow that. Mm. Like I would just as my normal person, I didn't want to be a competing bikini competitor. That wasn't my goal, 
I just wanted to look like that because I thought that that is the way that you, um, that was healthy. That was the way that you're supposed to eat. That was like the ultimate health. So I think that there is this view of people who are like in the gym all the time for whatever reason that may be, whatever sport they must, they play or whatever, um, whatever they eat, like the protein shakes, the meal prepping, the counting macros, the lifting weights, the whatever, whatever they're doing needs to be the regimen for everybody, even when that's not your goal. Like your goal isn't to be lean down as little as possible. It's to just live your life. It's not a healthy way to live life, but people think that that's how they should live their life. It's um, a lot of this reminds me, I can't even remember. Someone told me once um, to aim for mediocrity. And I, I remember at the time I was just like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But then <laughs> throughout my life since then, there's been a number of times when that comes up and I'm like, this is what they meant in that aiming for those extremes is usually not where you actually should be or want to be in reality, even though, you know, short time you're like, oh yeah, wow, that looks amazing. I'm going to try and be like that. But you're better off aiming for that sort of middle ground. It wasn't necessarily saying be mediocre, but aiming for that middle ground because that's generally, you know, the old saying about the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I feel like it's like that where, you know, yeah, there's extreme and, you know, you've got lots of muscle, but you've got no fat, your hormones are shot. And then there's the other end of the extreme, you know, you're overweight, your hormones, again, will be shot. Um, mm-hmm. And the truth is somewhere in the middle and that's where you kind of want to be. And that's, I feel like in this instance, um, it's going to be individual for every individual, for every individual, ironically. Um, do you think, because I wonder, like body body image, again, even the, the concept of body image for me evokes thoughts of comparison with other people is that the way you look at it or are you looking at it more of a i feel like you might be looking at it more in a like a self-love kind of way or are you looking at when you say body image are you looking specifically about like what the body looks like i think both so on the outside like on the surface level, it is what the body looks like. And we tend to see ourselves in comparison to other people and develop our self-image compared to the person next to us. But because I know that it goes deeper than that, I think that the healing lies in coming back to yourself and kind of it has nothing to do with the comparison. Like, Mm -hmm. even if you were to be like, I'm going to stop comparing myself to the person next to me and feel good about who, like what you look like and whatever, there's still going to be wounded parts of you that you're not going to like, and that's going to be portrayed in certain ways. So yes, body image, but also I think maybe I say body image because there's a disconnect in my mind between the mind and the body when mm. we're when we're seeing the or the way that we feel, the way that we see ourselves, whether that's 
inside or outside. It's a disconnect between the mind and the body. So really understanding our body and understanding, like enveloping our self-awareness and our interoceptive cues helps us to have a better body image because of the way that we are treating ourselves is completely different than when we are just trying to be like the person next to us or trying not to be like the person next to us. We treat ourselves differently when we're really, when we understand ourselves at a deep level and that comes out to the world as a better body image, but it doesn't even matter what other people see because you're so focused on how you're feeling and what, what just feels good intuitively to you versus rather what is expected of you in society. Yeah, I feel this is a, and this is one of the reasons why I want to bring you on because this is a topic that I'm definitely, I feel close to, but almost for the exact opposite reason as you. Uh, Like, like I'm a big guy and I feel like through when I got into powerlifting, uh, for better and for worse, it's a very empowering sport, but I feel like in my instance, it was almost the opposite in that it was like i don't care what happens to my body like i'm whatever it takes to get stronger so like if i had to get bigger then that helped me move more weight on the bar Mm. then so be it it was almost like the opposite i'm like i don't care like i'm doing this for the sport um which again not a healthy outlook like you're sacrificing your health for what like to Mm. lift some weights and it's like okay cool like whoop do you do yeah they're gonna put that on your tombstone or what cool. put, your, put your like your stats on there or something like it's it's ridiculous but yeah that's that's i think the mindset aspect of it is very similar even if it was essentially like the opposite ends of the scale for the two of us um yeah and it was it almost was an excuse i guess like you could justify anything like oh, i'm gonna eat for my in my like eat all of this stuff and it's cool because you know that's gonna help like i'm gonna build more muscle and it did it did work but it's still you're still doing things that your body isn't designed to do and in a lot of cases doesn't want to do very obviously by the way it reacts (laughs) so uh yeah it's it's i find it really interesting the mindsets that people can get into or or how how people get into those mindsets without even realizing it, I think is probably the biggest thing. Cause it's a lot of people think, Oh, you know, why don't you just, you know, sort yourself out. Like you don't need to be doing that. Or like, I'm sure there would have been someone that either thought it or probably even may have said it to you at some point, like, or you said your boyfriend at the time said like, just eat, like, you know, why are you starving? Just eat. Like, if I'm like, if it was that easy, I would just eat. Like, right. <laughs> I think yeah. I don't think people realize how, and the the part of people's stories that really fascinates me is this kind of thinking doesn't just appear. Like it's a slow grind. Like you said, like you can trace aspects of that thinking pattern right back to when you were, you know, eight, seven, eight, like really little. Um, yeah. And it's gra- it's a gradual thing. You don't just all of a sudden end up there, which is why I feel like in a lot of instances it takes people hitting that rock bottom point to actually realize this because it's 
been such a slow burn to get to that point with their thinking that it, they don't notice the change. It's like when you, uh, like for me, when I, I have a, a couple little nieces and nephews, and if I don't see them for a while, when I see them, I'm like, holy crap, you've grown so much. When I see them yeah. really regularly, you don't notice it because you're yep. just you're always exposed. So I feel like it's the same thing in that because you're always in that experience, you're always in that thinking pattern and it's gradually getting worse or it's gradually developing, you don't notice mm. it until it's yep. really pointed out by something like someone else telling you or, you know, like you seeing something online and going, oh, wait up, that's a bit weird or hitting rock bottom. Yeah. You're like, I don't know what needs to change. I don't know. In a lot of cases, I don't know what's happening, but I know that this doesn't feel right and something needs to happen. Yeah. And I think on the flip side of that, the healing process from all of those years of thinking that way doesn't just happen overnight either. And I think that's one of the big reasons why people kind of ignore the issue Mm. because we're so used to a quick fix and we want something to happen overnight, or we want just the right advice that's going to change our whole world. Like I'm on year, I don't know, three or four now of abandoning or trying to abandon those mindset issues and stuff. And I'm now just coming to the point where I feel like I can help people with it Mm. because it took me that long to heal from that. And I think that that's the hard part of this all, right? I mean, everybody has their issues and the issues that we need to heal are the, our inner child and our wounds and everything. It takes a long time to heal that. And if we don't heal it, it's joy, it's only going to continue to get worse, but people don't want to because it takes a long time and it takes a lot of effort. Yeah, I've seen that too. People are always looking for that magic bullet, a magic potion or whatever it is that's going to fix. Not even just eating, disordered eating, like any issue. People are always looking any for issue, that. Yeah. Anything that can make a shortcut or, you know, but in the end, like you said, like it took say 10 years to get here it's not gonna be changed overnight and i feel like that's where a lot of people's expectations around it uh where it becomes too difficult where especially when you have things like oh you know it takes 28 days to form a new habit i'm like yeah that's to form a habit that's not gonna fix the issue like (laughs) it'll take 28 days to get in a routine but then it Mm -hmm. might take four or five years for that routine to sort of reverse whatever you're trying to do Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like a lot of people don't go into like, even after so they've hit rock bottom and they're like, okay, I'm going to need to make a change. This is what I'm going to do. Or they're getting help. A lot of people don't go into that process with the expectation that it's going to take a long time. And you yeah. see that. And I think that's where like, you see a lot of fad diets and that sort of stuff coming from is because. Again, one, people are looking for that magic bullet, but then they're only going to stick with that for a month or so anyway because they're going to do it for a while and go, oh, this isn't working fast enough or this isn't. That's why you see people that do like lemon juice cleansers and shit like that. And it's like, well, you haven't eaten anything in a week and (laughs) it doesn't matter what diet you're on. The first week, you're just going to drop water anyway. So yeah, you're like, oh my God, I dropped 10 pounds in this week. Like That's not surprising, but not fat. And you're going to be upset come next week when you gain five yeah, of that pounds back. Yeah, when it, when, or when, even when it plateaus. They're like, oh, or even I've seen people that have still lost. They're like, oh, I lost 10 pounds last week and I only lost two this week. I'm like, yeah, that's normal. 
Get yeah. used to that for the next four years and you're going to be good. Yeah. You'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, it, I feel like, we, and again, I, I feel like it comes back to our very rudimentary understanding or the general public's rudimentary understanding of how the body works, like with regards mm-hmm. to weight and hormones and all of that kind of stuff. Like for for women in particular, and again, I only know this through coaching and powerlifting, women in particular, you are going to gain more weight at certain times of the month. And don't stress, yeah. it's not going to be fat generally. It's just water. But water. On, <laughs> if, you, if you're basing everything off the number on the scale, it might go up once a month mm-hmm. if you know that and you know why, hopefully that helps. But the other thing is don't focus on the number on the scale and it won't be an issue. Like focus on, I don't know, if your clothes fit or how you're feeling that day or whatever it is. But Mm -hmm. these are the, these little things that people don't understand how it works. And Mm -hmm. then they give up to like before. And I know it's not as easy as, oh, just giving up. There's a lot more to it, but in general, people are stopping the the process or the, the more healthy process because it's not happening fast enough. Yeah. And they're doing it for the wrong reason, right? Mm. Like if you're if you're eating for performance in a sport, why are you doing that sport? Are you doing it because it really is fulfilling to you? Or are you doing it so that you look a certain way? Or are you doing it to please somebody else or to be accepted socially or like, what is the reason that you're doing it for? Mm. And that reason is sound and that reason is good in your heart and your soul. Then no matter what it looks like, if the progress is like this, it's not going to matter because you're enjoying the process. Like you said, Mm. and, but if we're doing it for the wrong reasons, if you're, if you're just trying to lose weight, to look a certain way, um, and you're focusing on the weight, you're not focusing on, I don't know, like improving your blood pressure or improving whatever it may be, whatever health issue you may have or not have. Maybe you're just trying to prevent getting high blood pressure. You're trying to prevent um, like not being able to play with your kids or whatever it may be or your grandkids. If your weight is going like this, it's not going to matter if you're you're focusing on something other than the weight. But if you're focusing on the weight, it's going to just crush you. It's going to like it's like, oh, I lost weight. I'm on this high and now I gained weight. Now I'm on this low and now I lost weight. So now I'm on this high and then I gained weight. Now I'm on this low. And there's research out there that shows that actually that weight cycling is worse for you than just staying overweight. And, and not to mention the stress that you come under, just trying to go like from all over places, trying to figure out what's best for you and what's healthiest. I mean, I definitely agree that the like health information that we have as a society is totally like, I don't know. It's confusing. It's confusing Mm. because we have so much health information being thrown at us. There's not like a lack of health information. It's like, what actually is healthy? Because this diet's telling me to only eat fats and this diet's telling me to only eat vegan. And then this diet's telling me to only eat three times a week. Yeah, exactly. Only three times a week and drink celery juice and lemon water or whatever it is every moment that I wake up, like what is going to make me healthy? And the truth is, is you only know what's going to make you healthy. Like if you were to listen to your body, if you were to listen to like what your body is telling you when you do certain things and 
not do certain things. Like if you don't move as occupational therapists, and especially me in the hospital setting, like I can tell if somebody does not move, I can tell by the way that they recover from certain things, Mm. like your body was made to move. So if you were just listen to your body and move, but move in a way that felt good for you, it wouldn't feel like exercise. It wouldn't feel like miserable. So when people tell me like, oh, I don't like to exercise. It's like, well, you have found something that you enjoy then because your body was made to move and our bodies were made to eat things that are going to nourish us. But if we just don't listen to our body and listen to all of these outside voices telling us what we should eat and how much we should move and how much we should eat, of course, it's going to be miserable. It's going to be confusing. It's going to be overwhelming and crazy. And we're going to go like this because mm. we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> so you, you've spoken a few times about people being or needing to be more in touch with their bodies and stuff. Is there like a, a first step? Like how do you how do you even begin to do that? So I think it depends on like what, I guess it depends on the person, right? So like, I guess I'll talk a lot about the intuitive eating part of it because I'm studying to be an intuitive eating counselor. So if we're talking about food, being in touch with your body around food, instead of figuring out what you're going to eat for lunch per se by what exactly the food is, maybe, you know, that an apple is healthy, but, um, you think that a PB and J is not or something like that. I'm going to choose the apple because it's healthy for me. So instead of doing that, you decide, okay, so what do I feel like eating today? Like what sounds good? And you sit with that for a little bit and you're like, okay, like I really want something crunchy or I really want something sweet or I want something, um, maybe a mixed texture or I want something warm. Like maybe it's cold outside. You're coming up to winter you're like, Ooh, I really just want something like warm and hearty. Um, and I don't want it to be sweet. I want it to be savory. Okay. So now you're maybe at like a soup versus like a bowl of oatmeal or something like that. So that's part of it. So it's like the satisfaction factor of it. And then the other part is how hungry am I? So they have in the intuitive eating world, we have a scale, the hunger and fullness scale and use it a lot with people who have, silence their hunger and fullness cues for a really long time. So they don't know when they're truly hungry because they eat on a regimented schedule or they don't know when they're full because they're, they only eat to like hit macros or something. So they're always based off of that. So you check in with your, within yourself and you say, okay, I'm on like a three, which is like in between starving and like kind of hungry. And then, or when you're done eating, it's like, okay, I check in with myself halfway through the meal. I'm at like a seven. Okay. I'm going to stop because I know if I go to a nine or if I go to a 10, I'm going to feel sick and I'm not going to feel. And it's different for everybody. Like I like to eat when I'm at between like a two and a three. And I like to stop between like a six and a seven. And sometimes I go all over the place, but most of the time, if I'm checking in with myself, that's where I like to be at. I like to eat when I'm there and I like to stop when I'm there. And so the other parts of like the time of the day, like the kind of food that I eat or whatever, like, of course you just can't stop doing whatever you're doing if you're at work, but you're at home, like on the weekend for today, like, okay, like I'm, I wasn't hungry at 6am, but I was at nine 
and I wasn't really hungry for a snack, but I was hungry to eat dinner early. So it was just stuff like that, that you can check in with your body and really eat based off of what you're feeling versus what you think you should do. I like it. I like it a lot. That's something I, I, even from a personal point of view, like the whole like hunger cues and stuff. Um, I've noticed uh, uh, mine are totally skewed nowadays, especially like pretty much exactly what you said, like eating for macros. So I'm like, I don't care what it takes. Like I have to get this amount of protein in. I have to get this amount of carbs in, especially if it was like before training, like I have to get this in. Otherwise I'm not going to be able to train, which is a load of shit. But yeah, you you get into that mindset of like, these are the things like you, I think because also like my training programs were so structured, it's like everything Mm -hmm. needs to be like that. Otherwise I'm underperforming like my nutrition, everything, the eating times, everything needs to be super structured uh caffeine intake everything um and now it's like well i i find myself now like i'll eat and i'll be like that was too much or you know Uh i'll I'll that or i'll eat and then half an hour later i'm like dude that wasn't obviously wasn't enough because i'm hungry again like it's ridiculous like that's definitely something i can relate to with the the cues being very much all over the place which i think physiologically is hormonal anyway isn't it the hunger cues yeah so leptin and ghrelin and um i think it's neuropeptide y or something will release leptin which Mm. is the hunger hormone uh and i'm curious with like when you were so regimented with your eating and so structured with that did you ever find that you were kind of rebelling in a way like sometimes you would just be like i just have to eat this and eat a lot of it or no you just always stuck to it um so like cheat meals or like yeah like yeah like a cheat meal uh i i definitely did i didn't look at as as rebelling though i would all i would usually try and fit it within the macros that i was hitting any the macros i was hitting were huge so what it really wasn't an issue trying to fit other things (laughs) in like I think when I was peak competing, like I was up around four and a half thousand calories a day. Like it's it was, oh my goodness, yeah, it was like two full days for most people, kind of thing. What a dream! <laughs> but so yeah, so fitting fitting things into my macros really wasn't an issue. <laughs> um, okay, but I, I definitely, oh, I guarantee there definitely was times when just knowing that, like I go to a burger place with mates and be like dude like i got four and a half thousand calories to play with i can eat whatever i want it doesn't matter um yeah so there was definitely times when i'm guaranteed even then i would have blown that out sometimes just because i'm like yeah "Eh, like what's it gonna do um Mm. like my aim is to be eating more and putting on more muscle anyway so like if i have a day where i blow that out of the water then the next day usually if i did do that the next day i wouldn't be as hungry so that would be a bigger struggle than actually yeah, trying to force food force down your mouth. In. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, you know, now I've got to try and hit 4,000 or whatever. And I'm like, I'm just not feeling it. Um, mm-hmm. So those were the probably the harder days were the, yeah, were the days after kind of thing. 
But yeah, yeah. I, I never, I don't think I ever looked at it as rebelling. I think I looked at it as more, I've got all this freedom and I can do what I want with it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I could probably, I, think... I, I probably would have looked at it more like that when I was cutting. So when I was on, and even then, like my, my cutting was, I think I was dropping weight at like three, two. 3,200 calories or something. Like it was still a lot more than most people would eat normally. <laughs> yes. So, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's when you're restricting food, your body actually releases more neuropeptide Y. Hmm. So like if you're you're trying to control how much you eat, and I guess in your way, I'm, I guess I'm talking about more restricting. So you're controlling it so that it's less hmm. and your body is telling you to eat more. So then you end up actually just binging. Like I know for me, when I was doing my macros, I would hit it perfectly in the morning. I would hit it perfectly in the afternoon. I'd hit it perfectly at dinner. But then after dinner, when I had a little bit left of macros and I was just like, I didn't feel super hungry, but I wanted everything. Like I wanted chocolate. I wanted cereal. I wanted I, I wanted everything. I wanted popcorn and I wanted a lot of it and I couldn't stop myself. Like I would try to substitute like ice cream for a rice cake with peanut butter on it or something. And then that wasn't satisfying. So then I would eat that and I would eat mm. <laughs> the next thing that I was trying to substitute. And, and it was just crazy. And ever since I actually started eating more earlier in the day, I don't crave really anything after dinner most times. If it's due, I can satisfy it with like a little dove chocolate versus like another whole meal and a half. Yeah, I used to find that what I used to call like the swing week where I would change from normal like comp diet to cutting. Um, mm -hmm. It was usually about three days that were like that, like really bad. Like I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm like, I'm only eating 3,000 <laughs> calories. I'm going to die. Um <laughs> I just want to eat everything. Uh, but then I think it, like, it always amazed me. Like if I could tolerate those three days, um, which I used to try and make sure it was a weekend because trying to do that at work was just a nightmare. Um, yeah, if I could tolerate that, then my body kind of got used to the, the lower intake and it. it was usually fine for most of it after that. But like doing it so many times, I just like I knew exactly that. Like I knew that you know this is going to take three days, so I can plan it out. Like everything was so regimented, it was yeah, everything was so planned. And then anything that fell outside of the plan, then I would get like anxious. Like my yeah. girlfriend again now, my my wife would be like, oh, let's go out for dinner. I'd be like, I can't do that. This doesn't fit. Like you should have told me earlier. Like I would have planned this in, kind of thing. And, Exactly. It's like it, it starts. <laughs> yeah, it starts impacting everything in your life. Like it starts to your your life revolves. It gets to a point where your life revolves around food, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Because it's it's yeah. such a in the grand scheme of experiences, it's such a minor minor thing in life. Yeah. But when you're in that mindset, it, it's everything. It's the only thing that matters, mm. yeah. Like, this is what I need to do to be able to do this action, perform, whatever, and mm -hmm. that's going to make me happy, and this is what I'm, you know, I'm dedicated to this, and you, at the time, you justify it with all sorts of reasons, but uh, 
in the end, in the end, it, it really is an anxiety of sorts. Mm-hmm. Definitely. For me, it was health anxiety, mm. which like I still have to some extent, but it was just, I will not be healthy. I will get all these diseases if I don't do this, which is just crazy because I, I didn't, at least to my knowledge, get any diseases <laughs> from doing it, but I didn't, I don't know. It's just, even now I don't have any diseases. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, but that's what everybody says. It's like, you have to do this to be healthy. This is the ultimate form of self-care. And it's no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. I feel people need to start taking less notice of, or stop taking their health advice from athletes and bodybuilders and that kind of thing and seek professionals talk right. professionals people that, people that don't really know what they're talking about <laughs> just 99 percent of people with regards yes. to nutrition which is unfortunate and it, yeah i think most people even like what is healthy food and what is not people have this sort of distorted view of um mm-hmm. and everyone has their view based on their thing like you know if you talk to someone who's really into paleo then they're gonna oh you know bread's bad for you it's gonna kill you and cavemen didn't eat bread and all that sort of stuff or if you there's the the carnivore diet is this new thing at the moment that's floating around where it's like you can live off just meat i'm like yeah but why would you want to like (laughs) i'm sure you could survive for a little while sure you could survive i don't think it'd be real pleasant i mean we spoke about before just eating protein and not much carbs and what that does to your body just eating just meat would be horrendous i can't even imagine so it makes me like just thinking about it yeah but yeah i mean there's and there is a thousand different diets but i don't think you need to follow like oh this is you know atkins or this is whatever like i don't think you need that you just need to find what's healthy for you and yeah that might work but it might not too it's well i've i've always i sort of after powerlifting got to the mindset of like the best diet is the one you can stick to mm-hmm. like and when i say diet i'm not meaning like dropping weight diet i'm just meaning like nutrition like like what yeah what you're yeah. actually taking in Yeah. And really, I mean, the way that I heard it the best is like eat a variety of foods, not too little, not too much. And what do it satisfies you. And that's aim for mediocrity. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere in the middle. Yeah. You don't want to eat all these play foods that aren't high in nutrition. You don't want to only eat nutritious foods and never allow yourself to eat something that you enjoy Mm. somewhere in the middle. That's it. That's that awesome. sweet spot. The sweet spot, mm-hmm. no pun intended. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, where can people find you if they want more information, if they want to check out your your content? Where can we, they check that out? Yes, I'm at the body image OT on Instagram, and that's where I show up most. And it's yeah, a lot of your content, a lot of the stories that you post, um, you do get on there and, and have chats and drop a lot of knowledge uh, around intuitive eating, body image, and particularly the mental health side of it, which is which is awesome. That's the, the, the stuff that I really enjoy. So keep doing that because it's really good and Thanks. it's important. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate you letting me come on and talk about it. 
been fun. Absolute pleasure. Easy as that. <laughs> if you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to got some value from this and you want to help us out like subscribe share it with a friend remember be good to yourself be good to others and always keep occupied